0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you. Another evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, a letter that has had us recently talking the stuff of the resurrection, huh? Really, all throughout this letter, St. Paul touches upon the resurrection. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he's really focusing in on the resurrection of the body. So we will continue our reflections into the resurrection of the body this evening. But before we get into that, I did want to make a comment about a program I aired recently, which was a radio program devoted to responding to your question, how might we uh, better respond to the question, can you pray for me? Now, I took that radio program and I prayed with it even more, and I wrote an article for some online journals with that topic, and I titled it can you pray for me? 12 points to consider. I cannot tell you how many prayer requests I received in my inbox. I was overwhelmed, just not by the number on the day the article was posted, but really by the ongoing prayer requests that I have received over the past week. The, The article was posted on Saturday morning and I have uh, consistently received numerous prayer requests. And as I noted on air and also in the article, one of the things that we have to be present to as we think about how to better respond to can you pray for me is, well, to pray on the spot, right? (laughs) When someone asks you, can you pray for this or that, pray with the person on the spot. And so I have been made to pray as I receive all of these prayer requests many times over on the spot, and I cannot tell you how enriching it has been for me. And isn't that one of the beautiful things about intercessory prayer? When we go to someone and ask them, can you pray for me, in a manner of speaking, if they take that prayer request serious, you are doing them a favor. It's going to draw them deeper into God. Now, why am I talking about this this evening? Well, my friends, when I look at my grid and I see all of you listening um, all across the world by way of podcast, I cannot help but think how just not this program might be more enriched, but also our lives enriched if we do pray for one another. So what I want to do right now is, before we get back into 1 Corinthians chapter 15, is to offer up another prayer, one that is devoted to praying for one another. If you are in Africa, India, Croatia, Turkey, Portugal, France, Spain, Italy, Canada, Mexico, I want you to know that I am praying for you. And I do share to you, as I shared it in the article, send me requests. You have my email, j-h-o-l-l-j-m-j at If there is something on your heart that you've been trying to work through or if there's someone you know who is suffering, please send me your request and be assured I will pray for you. Because if Seeds of Truth is going to fulfill its mission, which is ultimately to evangelize souls and to convert hearts, it will not succeed without prayer. Okay? So let us prayerfully one more time, mindful that we are called to intercede for one another, pray the Our Father in the spirit of praying for one another offering up the body of Christ to God, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so We've had the opportunity to pray now together on two separate occasions, and hopefully we benefit from such prayer, that beautiful prayer that our Lord himself taught us. All right, so if you have your Bibles out, let us go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will pick up where we left off with verse 42. And I will go ahead and take it for now to verse 44. So is it with the resurrection of the dead? What is sown is perishable What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a physical body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there is also a spiritual body. Okay, so in these, what, three verses, we have these contrasts, huh? <laughs> Four contrasts specifically. First, that the earthly body is what? Sown, corruptible. Notice the reprise of the image of sowing. Now, we didn't read verse 37, but if you're to go back to our last time together, we talked about this sowing. Huh? Paul likes to use this image, so he reprises this image so as to really develop his comparison. In verse 37, the focus was not on the dying of the seed, but on the new body it becomes, huh? Here, in verse 42, Paul compares the corruptible character of the human body, obvious from decomposition after death, with the incorruptible character of the risen body. So, like the body of the risen Jesus, the bodies of the risen faithful will never die, huh? Or we could say, will never decompose again. Now, in this second contrast, we are made to see how the earthly body is, Paul's using the word again, so dishonorable that we might better see and understand that with death, even the most attractive body becomes dishonorable as the process of decay uh, begins its work. But the bodies of the elect, we know, will be what? But raised glorious. I mean, how important is this point today, my friends? in an age where there's such a rise in cosmetic surgery, in in an age where we want to put off death, in an age where we want to distance ourselves from the reality that is one day we will die, we must be reminded of the very point that St. Paul is talking about. Reminded that in the end, no matter how much time we spend beautifying ourselves, brothers and sisters our bodies will decompose. The most beautiful person in the whole world, weeks after their death, will look no different than, by secular standards, the ugliest person in the world two weeks after death. Brothers and sisters, decomposition is a reality that we need to confront. You know, I am asked the question from time to time, you know, Joe, why do the saints have skulls at their desk? Or why are certain saints painted with skulls? It's kind of morbid. Not really. (laughs) Not at all, in fact. The saints wanted to be reminded of death. It's just that simple. They understood that as long as they were vested with the flesh, they could easily slip into that tendency of wanting to look good, right? But by having a skull on their desk or by having a a skull painting, they were reminding themselves of the reality of death. That was just their way of doing it. Now, we might not do that today. We might have other ways of reminding ourselves of death, but the reality is the saints knew their limitations. The saints knew that they had a past. The saints knew that they were sinners, and if they were going to overcome their sin, living with the end in mind, living with that mindset that one day we will die and we will have to give an account for how we lived, was quintessential to their sanctity and holiness. So it is, my friends. These are the things we should be thinking about as we read through these verses that focus in on the resurrection of the body. So we have this juxtaposition. What is sown dishonorable will be one day raised glorious. This detail, by the way, very much indicates that the resurrection is not some resuscitation, right? A return of the body to its natural living state, but a transformation, sharing the same kind of glory that the risen Lord had, suggesting, in a way, right, the kind of brilliance that the disciples saw in our Lord's transfiguration. We're not going to go to Matthew chapter 17 and those opening verses now, We all know the story of the transfiguration, where our Lord was transfigured there on top of the mountain before Peter, James, and John, and Moses, and Elijah came, right, symbolizing the law and the prophets. What did they see? What did those disciples see that we can learn from today, especially in light of the resurrection? What did the transfiguration anticipate but the resurrection, right? In the transfiguration, what we have at its core is Jesus Christ, without ceasing to be who he was, becoming something more. There he was, still in his physical body, but at the same time becoming something more. He was transfigured. He was illuminated. What he was became something more. And why is this important for us today? Because, my dear friends... Jesus Christ challenges us to be who we are called to be in the light of Christ. And the only way we can be the best version of who God is calling us to be is to embrace our identity and who we are as a son or daughter of God. In my case, Joe Holcraft, right? There's only one Joe Holcraft, thank God, and I have to embrace all that I am in all the muck and mire, but offer it to God. And in God's grace, become something more. And I can only do that in the light of his truth. I can only do that in the light of his love. And so we are constant in drawing this point out here on Seeds of Truth because if we don't understand that our primary vocation, that before we exist for other, we must first live in God, that we might become the person that God is calling us to become, then we will simply fall short of fulfilling our vocation. So we have this challenge before us to, without ceasing to be who we are in our identity, becoming something more in Christ. Okay, how about this third contrast? The weak body becomes powerful. Weakness here refers to the human condition as prone to what? accidents, to injury, and ultimately to death brought on by sin. That it is powerful means not only that it is free of those human limitations, but also that it is endowed with new capabilities. We become the person who God is calling us to be in the light of this new power that we have been endowed with, sacramentally speaking, first and foremost. How about this fourth contrast? The natural body becomes a spiritual body. Now, that phrase, uh, spiritual body, appears to be a contradiction in terms, uh, certainly to the modern mind, but what we are made to see here is that even in this life, the body can become one spirit with Christ. Remember what we talked about back in chapter 6, I believe it was verses 15, 16, and 17, that we become one spirit with Christ, however partial and imperfect that might be. So the contrast is not between the physical and the non-physical, per se, here. We are to interpret this passage as the resurrection being a recuperation of all that is God given in our present physicality, but transformed as our Lord's body was transformed. Now, I wanted to read to you, as we are reflecting into the body of the resurrection, a piece that George Montague highlights here from St. Augustine. This is what saint augustine has to say on the body of the resurrection and i absolutely love this this is pulled by the way from a sermon of saint augustine's for the feast of ascension people are amazed that god who made all things from nothing makes a heavenly body from human flesh when he was in the flesh did not the lord make wine from water Is it anything so much more wonderful if he makes a heavenly body from human flesh? Is he who is able to make you, when you did not exist, not able to make over what you once were? You see what St. Augustine did there? He took our reflection and he turned it around in a series of questions. And within the question, he gets us thinking differently about how we have been talking about the body of the resurrection. And in so doing, if we really apply St. Augustine's logic, we can come to understand that, at the very least, the body of the resurrection is, what, reasonable, right? Listen to Augustine one more time. People are amazed that God, who made all things from nothing, makes a heavenly body from human flesh. When he was in the flesh, did not the Lord make wine from water? Is it anything so much more wonderful if he makes a heavenly body from human flesh? Is he who was able to make you, when you did not exist, not able to make over what you once were? So what is he saying? I mean, think about it. We came from nothing. Can he not transform what is already existing? Is it not a greater feat for him to bring us into the world from nothing? Again, once we start thinking about this critically, it is rational to the extent that we apply reason to faith, of course. All right, let us get back into these verses from 1 Corinthians 15, and we will pick up with verse 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual which is first, but the physical and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. And as in the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Wow, so what is Paul doing here? Once again, we have this juxtaposition between Adam and Christ. You see, my friends, the contrast between Adam and Christ shows that by nature we get a body from Adam that is physical, earthly, and mortal. And by grace, we expect a body from Christ that is spiritual, heavenly, and immortal. Paul draws on Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, to hint what? Well, that Adam's creation bears a certain likeness to Christ's resurrection. Just as Adam's body was raised from the earth by the breath of natural life, so Christ's body was raised from the earth by the spirit of, what? Supernatural life. Brothers and sisters, it is this life-giving spirit, now channeled to the world through the sacrament of Christ's risen humanity, that will also raise our bodies. This is what St. Paul wants us to see in these series of verses. Don't you see how drawing from the Old Testament illuminates our understanding of who Christ is and what he came to establish? Remember, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment to the historical and prophetic thrust of the Old Testament. Essentially, Paul time and time again is saying, if you want to understand the new You must first be in the know on the old. If you want to understand Christ, you must first be in the know on Adam, because only in the light of one do you understand the other. And certainly, St. Paul is utilizing Adam so as to teach on the resurrection of the body. And I dare say, beautifully so, huh? (laughs) Okay, verses 51 and following. Behold, I tell you a mystery there's that word again, behold. What happens to you when you hear the word behold? Imagine if you went to a talk and the first word you heard was behold. Well, that would grab your attention, huh? I mean, that's an intention grabber. Behold. Because when you hear that word, the person using that word is telling you what I'm about to say is very, very important. So behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable nature must put on the imperishable and this mortal nature must put on immortality. All right, I want to briefly pause there and consider a couple of these uh, verses and phrases. What's the significance of the last trumpet? Well, this phrase, the last trumpet certainly echoes 1 Thessalonians 4:16, right? The final blast that will inaugurate the general resurrection. Now, several uses of the trumpet in ancient Israel really fill out the background to this image that we read here and also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16. First, the trumpet was a liturgical instrument if you've journeyed with me here on Seeds of Truth, you know that. We have gone into the Old Testament and really explored that, that the trumpet was a liturgical instrument. And what did it do? It summoned all of Israel to meet the Lord, to, to worship Him, in particular on the Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets, of course, is one of the seven great ancient feast days. And not only to worship Him, but also to, what, enjoy His rest every Jubilee year, This is discussed in Leviticus chapter 25, verses 9 and following. Now, second, the trumpet was also a military instrument that called soldiers into battle. Now, these uses overlapped in the conquest of Jericho. How? Well, was that not a military operation, but also at the same time a liturgical action of processing and blowing trumpets? We also know that trumpet imagery... Is used in the prophets to signal what? But Israel's restoration from the covenant death of exile. And so what St. Paul wants us to see is that when we ascend into heaven, we will not only claim victory, but we will also enter into what? A new worship. A new and eternal worship. All right, how about verse 53, put on immortality, a very important phrase. A phrase that speaks to how our risen bodies will be robed with undying life and not stripped away like worthless garments. Paul uses a similar language in second Corinthians chapter five verse four where we will be fitted if you will with glorified bodies made for heavenly life. this phrase put on is a phrase common in st paul's epistles where he wants us to really focus in on putting on the cloth of christ in point of fact let us go to one of those verses um let's see here why don't we turn to colossians chapter 3 i will go ahead and and start with well verse 1 colossians chapter 3 verse 1 listen to these words from st paul if then you have been raised with christ Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So now listen to what St. Paul does. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, And covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you once walked when you lived in them, but now put them all away anger, wrath, malice, slander, and foul talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old nature with its practices, and have put on the new nature, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So here you have Saint Paul having us put away the old man so as to what put on the new man. And what have we said about this Greek before? The Greek is an illusion to how we might put on clothes every day. And and I love this because what you have there is what is habitual, right? We don't think about it. We just put on our clothes every day. What St. Paul wants us to see is just as we might dress ourselves every day with material garments, so dress yourself every day with the spiritual garments of virtue. Put on the cloth of Christ, because when you put on the cloth of Christ, you are what? Putting on what is imperishable. Putting on what did we read there in in chapter 15, verse 53? You are putting on immortality. Immortality. And in our resurrected bodies, Jesus will fit us with our glorified bodies. But we have to do what St. Paul says here, right? Just not in 1 Corinthians 15, but also in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 to 10. We have to avoid all of those sins and put on the cloth of Christ. Then we will know what it means to be fitted perfectly. Have you ever been fitted for something? There's such fine detail to that. Just not the measurements, but you know, body mass is considered, all of it, right? Jesus Christ is attentive to all the details. And if we have been busy about putting on immortality here on earth, well, he will fine-tune that fitting in our resurrected bodies, and we will share in eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, I'm looking up at the clock, and we are all but out of time we were on the verge of uh, reading some Old Testament backdrop to St. Paul's treatment on the resurrection of the body. We'll just have to save that for next time. My dear friends, if you have any questions, thoughts, comments, observations about what we have been talking about here on Seeds of Truth, please do not hesitate to send me your emails, comments, observations, and as always, if you want me to take up a particular question and or subject matter on Thursday evening, send that subject matter that might be burning on your heart to me, and I will do my best to respond to you. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and never shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.